You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how I bought my first real estate property at 22 years old, plus lessons learned that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. I have been meaning to do this episode for the longest time. I'm going to be talking about my personal real estate journey, my journey to buying my first property at 22 years old in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Now, this like decision, this purchase, this investment has been like the single biggest thing I've done on my own, the riskiest thing I've done, and the most financially rewarding thing I've done. And, you know, I always kind of mention it, um, especially like if you maybe looked me up or saw some of my story online, it's usually mentioned, you know, she bought her first property at 22. And that is true, but I've never really gotten a chance other than actually, you know, I wrote um, an article about this. I'll link it in the show notes. If it's out by now, I'm not sure it'll be out, but I never really got a chance to talk about it on the episode. And I kept saying, I'm going to do an episode just on this experience because I think a lot can be learned uh, from this because I picked out a few things that really helped me. Now, even looking back at that decision, what put me in the position to be able to do that, right? So while you may have different tools and different starting point and just your situation may not be the same as mine, you know, this was years ago that to pull some educational, inspirational, hopefully things you can uh, see from this story and apply it to your own life. That is always my goal when I'm sharing my personal story is to hopefully inspire you, but also to spark that little light in your head that says, hmm, how can this apply in my life? First, a word from today's sponsor. As we are in the beginning of a brand new year, it's the perfect time to get focused and committed to your financial goals. Not only is it great to reflect on your money wins and lessons learned from the previous year, but it's the perfect opportunity to set and commit to your financial goals for the year ahead. Take time to reevaluate your current financial tools, banking situation, and consider joining your local credit union if you're not already a member. For example, Digital Federal Credit Union, better known as DCU, is committed to providing their members with the financial products and services they need to help them achieve their financial goals. Not only does DCU offer free online education for the members on money topics, including saving, building credit, and budgeting, DCU also offers products that can help members establish or improve their credit. To learn more, check out dcu.org. And stick around to the end of the show for the DCU Money Tip of the Week, where I'll be sharing tips to help you save and manage your money so that you can reach your goals. Okay, Janiers, I have to remind you about two things that are happening in the next couple of weeks that are very time sensitive, depending on when you are listening to this episode. So one, I have a secret slash private podcast that you can listen to. It's a series of five and six episodes that are really short, about 11 minutes long each that help break down financial independence. So it's financial independence 101 and it gives you the building blocks you need to think about how you can craft your journey. So if you love listening to the podcast in this form, you like 
audio as learning, then you'll love this secret podcast. But you have to sign up right now because I'm going to be removing the episodes all together, you know, from the public in just a few days. So go to journeytolaunch.com slash secret podcast to get access to that private feed right now to get your financial independence one-on-one building blocks. And then make sure you join me. I am doing a free class to kick off the new year on January 14th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time to help you map out how you're gonna get to where you currently are in debt, maybe a mindset that you're thinking about wanting to reach freedom, but you don't know how you're gonna get there, breaking it down from how you get to where you are right now to where you ultimately wanna be. And so you don't want to miss that. It's free. You can sign up by going to journeytolaunch.com slash free class to join me on January 14th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or you can click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode to get the full episode show notes. Now, if you are a new listener to the podcast or an OG journeyer, I've created a jumpstart guide to help you on your journey to financial freedom. It includes the top episodes to listen to, the stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources to help you, and so much more. Get it for free by texting LAUNCH to 33777. Text LAUNCH to 33777 or go to com slash jumpstart to get your guide for free right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Okay, so let's take it back. Let's take it all the way back of how this all came to be. So yes, when I was 22 years old, I put down a deposit on my first property in New York City. It was a small 525 square foot apartment. It was a studio apartment and it was in the fast developing area of Brooklyn called Dumbo. So Dumbo stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. It's literally right under the Manhattan Bridge in Brooklyn and across the river from Manhattan. And this studio was in a new high-rise condominium development, so it was not constructed yet. You know, I'll I'll talk about this a bit, how it was when I went to the sales office, but the area at the time is nowhere near what it is today. There was no development. There was nothing really going on. This was, I think, the first new development condo in that area. But, you know, I didn't know at the moment, but buying that property was not only very dangerous, (laughs) but really rewarding. So it worked out in my benefit. And I do have another real estate story. I don't know if I have time to share that, depending on how long this episode gets. I might have to do a part two of a, a, a totally different purchase that did not go the same way as this one did. And that one is also a very interesting case study. So, okay, let's take it back. How did this come to be? How did I at 22, which is a pretty young age, get serious or want to buy something. So as a senior in college, I really became interested in real estate investing. I'd met a couple older of older folks in the community. So at that time, I was living in the Fort Greene area of Brooklyn. And I met a couple of what I like to call neighborhood millionaires, very unassuming. They were usually older. And I remember just a couple of them where they had bought property back in the day in Fort Greene and Bed-Stuy. And, you know, back in the day, like in the 80s, 90s, when no one wanted to buy real estate in that area because it was high crime. There were stories about like, I remember those people telling me the stories that you could even walk in Fort Greene or Bed-Stuy, you know, after a certain time, like it was that dangerous. So 
these people had the foresight or just, you know, <laughs> went against what other people thought was like just sane and ended up buying brownstones back in the day. And when I came of age, so when I became like, you know, in college, the neighborhood was booming. That was when there was a lot of gentrification. It, it was a safer neighborhood. And so those same properties saw an immense value increase. So I would see these like older people, they were usually older and like get a little insight in their lives. And they did not look wealthy. They looked just, and you know, wealthy, that's just who who, who looks wealthy, right? Meaning they they were not flashy individuals, but they did their own thing. They had their own businesses. One was a grandmother who was taking care of her grandchild. She had the kind, you know, she had the flexibility in her life and in her money to be able to help out her daughter with her grandchild. That always stood out to me. So I was just so like intrigued by this because here I am. This is, I was in college at this point. So maybe like in my, you know, early twenties before I graduated and I met these people and they would say, Oh, I own a brownstone here and a brownstone around the corner. Um, and they like, that's what they, they didn't really have like corporate jobs. They did their own thing. They collected rent and they were literally sitting on millions of dollars of real estate. And I just was just so impressed by, <laughs> I don't know that it left such a big impression on me. And I am the kind of person where, you know, I typically can, like, if I see something that imp- impresses me, especially if the person is relatable, um, even if they're not relatable, if there's just one thing about them that I, you know, I'm just like, wow, that was interesting. I kind of try to see how I can apply that self to me. So that's kind of what I did. And I knew kind of at that point, like I should buy something <laughs> if I get in early enough. And so I grew up, you know, I grew up in different parts of Brooklyn. The longest that I did um, grow up was like in Fort Greene. So my grandmother also by like, whether luck or faith, she also became one of these investors, but not on purpose. My grandmother, I told this story before she um, immigrated here. Actually, she is the one that took me on the plane, she always says I was her carry-on luggage. Like I sat in her lap from Jamaica here. She brought me up here because my mom was already here trying to establish herself. So my grandmother literally landed here with really nothing. And she worked for, she did like, she was a nanny for wealthy (laughs) or, you know, the upper class people in the city. I remember she, she was working for a family in Park Slope at one point. And so that was her job. And she was always ambitious, but her dream was to own real estate. So she also became one of these like unassuming, I would say now, you know, just millionaires because she ended up buying a three family house in Fort Greene. I was very young at the time, you know, so I had no clue what was going on, but she ended up buying something because she wanted to have something of her own. So she ended up because she saved, because she was a saver. I always talk about, you know, the one thing about my family is I didn't know about investing, but saving was a big part of it. Like they were very resourceful. So she was able to um, get a three family house. And at the time she bought the three family house in Fort Greene, people also told her like, what are you doing? Like, this is not that great of an area, even though like, you know, oh my gosh, hindsight is 2020. It's like the best area if you wanted to buy something at that time for investment purposes. But she didn't know that. She just wanted a piece of the American dream. She wanted a place to call her own and it happened to be a three family. So she moved in. um, She she took the first floor and then my mom and myself took the second floor and moved into the second floor. And then we they rented out the third floor. So I grew up in this neighborhood. Um, I think I forgot how old I was. I was like maybe like 
11 or 12, maybe a little younger when we moved there. And I kind of came to age, came of age in this neighborhood. So when I got like, you know, just a little bit more aware of what I wanted to do with my life and that I wanted to be, you know, to make money and all these things, I saw that even my grandmother who had no like, you know, it's not like she was strategically buying this property because she knew in 10, 15, 20 years it would be valued at so much. She just wanted to do it. So with that, I thought to myself, if these people, you know, especially my grandmother who didn't intentionally like want to like become, <laughs> you know, real estate investors, uh, why can't I do this? Like, and I think this is like the baton that is passed down to us from generations is like when our parents, our grandparents come here as immigrants with nothing and they make something of themselves, they get it together and do the most. I always look at my husband's like even family and I'm just amazed at what, you know, that they were able to buy a home. They're Haitian, you know, and navigate, you know, different a different language, you know, and be able to do that. And I'm like, well, our generation as their children, as their grandchildren should surely like if we have the opportunities that we've had here should be able to do better. So that was like my whole mindset. And that's why I really like it piqued the interest of me while I was still in college that I would buy something. I was like, you know what? This seems like a good way to, you know, basically get some wealth going, um, more wealth in our family. So that was really important. So now when it came time that I wanted to buy something, right? So now I'm like, okay, I do want to buy something. I know it's possible. I see these people succeeding in it. Like, why not? So at the time I did make that decision. I think I was maybe like a junior in college, junior or senior in college. So I started to look around the neighborhood to buy something. And my goal was to buy a multifamily property. Because again, I saw all the the examples I saw of people who made money is that they bought three family, four family, like brownstones or houses so that they can live in one and rent the others out, have the rent pay for the mortgage and and some more. So that was my goal. I started looking, but at the time I started looking, it was the real estate. It was like the bubble was bubbling, <laughs> meaning like the prices for property were like at that time were crazy. And, you know, looking back now, oh my, I wish the prices were what it were back then. But I guess I could remember going to Bed-Stuy, looking at like a two or three family house and it was like seven or $800,000 and it still needed work. Now that today is a steal. If, you know, show me a, a brownstone in Bed-Stuy or Fort Greene area of Brooklyn for seven or 800,000, like that is a steal. But back then that was a lot of money, especially for like a 21, 22 year old. <laughs> So I really, really started looking um, and I went like uh, on, you know, to like a couple of open houses and I was looking online and I'm like, I can't afford this. <laughs> it was really kind of discouraging um, for a moment because I was just like, I, what am I supposed to do? I can't like at that time I was had an internship, but it wasn't like consistent money. It was just money that I earned while I was in school. So I even looked in New Jersey. I remember I almost went to contract on a property in New Jersey because we, you know, I went out there. I was like, well, if I can't afford anything in Brooklyn in the area that I want, because I knew I wanted it to be in like, you know, closer to the city, Bedside, Fort Greene, then let me go to Jersey because I was also interning the job that I had. Um, it was in, in New Jersey. And even that, like something felt off with that. Lo and behold, though, I was doing my research and I saw this advertisement and it believe it was online and it was saying oh new construction condo luxury condo in Dumbo Brooklyn and the price range it started it said 300k 
and then up, you know, like studios to the penthouse. And the 300K caught my eye because again, at the time I was seeing things that were like seven, 800,000. And in my head, I'm like, hmm, 300,000 seems like a steal. (laughs) So with that, I went to the sales office in Dumbo. Now, just to remind you, Dumbo stands for down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. That is literally like maybe 10 minutes from Fort Greene, Brooklyn, where I grew up. And I don't remember, like at 21, I believe, I can't believe, I can't remember if it was 21 or 22. I don't ever really remember ever going to Dumbo. That, And it was only 10, 15 minutes away from me. But I saw this advertisement. I took my, I remember I took my mom with me and I was like, you know, let me check this out. It's a new construction. Let's see what this is all about. Remember going to the sales office and there was nothing in the area of Dumbo. It was just like, you know, warehouses. But it was close to the water. It was close to, it was even closer to Manhattan. So I saw something there when I went there. I was like, wow, hmm. Went into the sales office and of course, new development. So there was no, the ground was not even broken in terms of the construction being started, but they had really nice displays of what this condominium unit would look like. Like they showed all the amenities. They would have a doorman, um, a gym, a yoga like studio. And I was like, wow, this sounds like something that I can do. And I remember looking at the apartment list and the cheapest apartment started at like 300 and I think it was like 38,000. Yeah, that was probably the cheapest. Um, If there was cheaper, it was already taken by the time I got there. And then of course it went all the way up to the million when it came to the penthouse. And I literally just looked at the cheapest one that was left (laughs) and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go with that. So it was like the cheapest and smallest unit that I could barely afford. Because remind you, I'm still in college at this point, about to graduate. But I'm just like, well, you know, the $700,000, $800,000 multi-units are not going to work. <laughs> so let me try this. Um, this is like a half the price and it's in Brooklyn. And, you know, they were also the developers also sold the vision of Dumbo. You know, they talked about all the just the new construction that was coming to Dumbo, all the amenities, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge Park. There was no Brooklyn Bridge Park. So everyone, anyone who, who's familiar with Brooklyn will know kind of what I'm talking about. But right now, um, if you go to Dumbo, it's like beautiful miles and miles of just waterway access. And, you know, there's the ferries that go there, like where people can commute to work to the city and there's parks and restaurants. But back then it wasn't much of that. And, but they talked about how Dumbo was going, what Dumbo could be. And I, I bought into the dream. So I remember leaving there and saying to myself, and so what you needed at the time to secure the apartment was 10%. So the apartment I bought was like 338,000. That's what I, the cheapest one. So I needed 10%. They said you needed 10% to save the apartment meaning no one else could come in after you, after you left the sales office and buy that apartment. So you need 10% to save it and then 10% at closing plus closing costs. So the key here and what really saved me and able to, to be able to do any of this, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a list of things that I'll go through it, but was that because they have they did not start construction yet, it would take about two years for this building to be built. So I thought to myself, if I can just come up with the first 10%, I have two years to save the additional 10% and closing costs and be prepared financially to move into this unit. So remember leaving and, you know, my mom was with me. And if, you know, if you listen to the episode with my mom, I'll link that in the show notes. I could not have asked for a better 
mother in life and supporter because she always just she knew I was I was always ambitious and she never tried to, you know, squash or turn off that light of mine's inside. And so she encouraged me. She was such a pivotal role in being able to do this because she was just like, okay, um, if you want to do this, sure. And so I put down a 10%. My mom did gift me a portion of that first 10%. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of that when I go through the list of things um, that allowed me to do this. But she helped with the first 10%. I already had money saved because I had been interning through inroads at my uh, corporate kind of internship. And at this point, this is also a key to remember, because I was interning at Inroads and I did that for three years at the same company, before I left to go to my senior year in college, I got a full-time offer. So I knew full-time offer to work at that company once I graduated. So I knew that I had a job and that job, the full-time offer, I remember it being $55,000 with like a sign-up bonus of like $5,000. Again, for a college student going into their senior year to know that when they graduated, I had a job like that was amazing. So I thought to myself, well, finding that 10%, which we did find. So I had that money saved from my internship because they paid me and I saved like majority of my internship money. So I had my internship money. I had my mom's um, where she helped me put the first 10% down. So together we were able to get to that first 10%. But I knew I had two years to save up for the additional 10% and the closing costs. And that was all going to be me. Like that was going to be me. Fast forward. And it was crazy because graduated from college. Now I'm in contract for this condominium unit. And the thing about it is putting that 10% down was risky because you can't get it back if you decide that you're not closing. But I just knew there's something in me that knew that this was like the right thing to do because I just saw so much promise in the area. And my worst case scenario was like, you know what? If I can't close on this because I can't afford it, I can't get the additional 10%, the additional, what, $33,000 plus the closing cost in two years, then maybe I'll be able to sell the contract, the purchase contract, right? Like, at least I'll be able to sell it for what I went into the contract for, you know, with it for, you know, because I didn't think that the the failure would be on the building itself or the area, meaning... I felt it was a solid investment and building and a solid area. So if it wasn't going to work, it was just going to be because of me, because I couldn't come up with the money. So I waited two years for this condominium to be built. And I used to pass this every day going to work. So I would commute from Brooklyn to New Jersey and I'd have to go over the Manhattan Bridge every day. And I remember for those two years, I would pass it and, you know, you'd see nothing. But as you're going over the bridge and you start seeing the development go up store, you know, one floor by one floor. Patience is like an understatement (laughs) and having to watch this building go up. But I also knew that I wasn't prepared. If the building was ready the next day, I couldn't have afforded to move in. So it was almost just like the many stars that needed to align. That was one big one. The fact that I had to wait, even though I didn't, you know, it was like crazy to wait two years. It was, it was necessary. I wouldn't have been able to move into the apartment if I didn't have those two years. So um, I was also, uh, able to, at that point, stay at home um, with my mom. So when I graduated from college, I was able to move back home with my mom and um, save money that way. So every single penny. So when I started to work, rem- remember, I had this full-time offer. I started to work full-time. So it, it really, at the, the timing was right also, because after that 10% was put down, I started to work full-time and all my money, most of it went to savings. 
because I even did the math. Okay, I'm making this much money now. What would be my potential mortgage payment once I move in? Oh, it's going to be this. And I kid you not, when I did the math, my rent, my mortgage payment was like the same as what my my check, my monthly check would be. And I was like, okay, so not, not only do I need to save the 10% in closing costs, I need to save living expenses. So again, taking a huge risk because literally like graduating, even when I graduated, like the money that I was making was good money, but it wasn't, it didn't give me much room to also like pay for other things other than the mortgage. So okay, let's fast forward. Two years later, finally, this building is complete. And I did my best to save up that 10% for the additional uh, money that it needed to close and the closing costs. And I had the money. So I went into contract at 22. I ended up closing on the unit at 24 and moving in. By the time I closed on the unit in Dumbo, it had appreciated. I went into contract for it. I think it was like, you know, 338, 338,000. By the time like I closed on it, you know how they have the they do the appraisal and, you know, to get the mortgage. I believe by then it was like 500 something, maybe like high 400s, either high $400,000 value or the low $500,000 value. So I had already seen an appreciation. And, I, you know, of course, I kept in touch with the market because I was always interested in real estate. Right. So I kind of knew as even those two years were passing that, okay, this, the, the property value is appreciating. So no matter what, I'll be able to at least get out of this and possibly get my, my down payment back if I can't close. And so, yes, it worked out because I closed at 24 on this unit, had the, had the money saved up and was able to move in. And looking back, those moments and those years of my life, like my early twenties, it was such a gift because I mean, you couldn't tell me anything <laughs> to be 24 living in this Dumbo. So now Dumbo was, is a little bit more developed. There's more opportunities coming to the area. And I and I've, I remember being like one of the earlier people who bought in the building and being one of the youngest that moved in. Plus, no one else looked like me. <laughs> I felt like I was just like a little black girl in this area with people wondering, probably like, what is she doing here? Not in a bad way necessarily, but it was just like, I felt really proud of being able to do that um, in that area at that time. And so I lived in that apartment. So I lived in that apartment, you know, for a few years, a couple years, enjoyed my life. I think I talked about this. I definitely said this on social media, but even in that time, I had an older car. I remember upgrading because, you know, I was not as into my finances, even though I did a lot of great things in my 20s. I was not as... I would say strategic. So I remember also in my 20s buying a luxury car, but I did wait till my older car like conked out, which is actually it broke down in the Holland Tunnel. Can you imagine that? <laughs> my car that I had for a year throughout college, it broke down in the, in the Holland Tunnel. And I was like, oh no, okay, we need a new car. And I ended up buying a used car, but it was a luxury car. So here I am in this like, you know, nice luxury condo, building with my nice luxury car. Like I was living the life in my early twenties. Like, and then eventually, you know, I got engaged and ended up moving out of the condo, but I rented it out. So I still own that Dumbo unit today and I rent it out. And so it's been a, just a amazing experience. It's obviously appreciated even more since I left. And, you know, the market has definitely changed with the pandemic 
I've been lucky enough only to have, this is, I'm going on my third person renting in the time that I've left, you know, over like probably over 10 years since I left or about 10, no, maybe like a little under 10 years since I left Dumbo, I left that unit. So I've usually had like long-term renters. My first renter was amazing. Like he stayed there for like, I don't know, five, six years. He never, I never heard from him. (laughs) It was such a, like, I would go there to renew his lease and he'd be like, oh, by the way, the microwave is broken. I'm like, oh, why didn't you tell me? He was like, it's been months, but I don't use it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I still own it to this day. I have no plans on selling it. It's like, emotionally, it's more than just a unit, a property. I know financially I couldn't, you know, stand to gain a lot of money if I were to sell it. But at this point, it's bigger than that. I feel like at this point, I couldn't buy anything in Dumbo right now. I mean, I couldn't even move my fam. Like it's a studio apartment. The five of us could not live in that studio apartment. So for me, what I envision this a way for my family, like my children to continue on with the wealth, Bataan. And if I teach them right, <laughs> and you know, they'll be able to hold this or use this as leverage to also continue to build wealth. Just like I used my grandmother's inspiration to help me figure out that I wanted to, you know, do something like this. And so, you know, I've even had offers from the next door unit owner to buy my property without an agent. So would have saved money there to buy my property um, so that they can like knock the walls out and create like a bigger apartment. And I was just like, no. And I've had offers to like for someone to buy it. But I'm like, no, this is so much more than just like the money. While the money is cool and I'm grateful that it actually appreciated and worked out in my favor. This is my pride. It's my legacy. I mean, I don't want to tie my, my worth is not tied to this apartment, right? I want to be clear about that because I think it's really important that we don't tie our worth too much to physical things that can be taken away. But we should also be proud of the things that we've accomplished and done and be smart about like these tools. And so for me, the fact that right now, I mean, maybe in a couple of years, I'll be able to buy in Dumbo again. I can't re-enter that market. There's not too many people who look like me that own in not only that building, but in that area. It's like one of the most expensive places to buy real estate in New York. So it's almost like I'm making a statement for my family, for my people that, listen, we can do this. We can be here. And it's my real estate story. And I do have some lessons learned. So (laughs) I just wanted to give you a background of how that all came to be. But there's also things in here when I look back at being able to do this that really contributed to the success of this. Hopefully you can pull out some own less your own lessons from this, apply it to your life. Again, I know the things are totally different now. Um the the market is totally different and you may if you're especially if you grew up in like New York or somewhere, I think it's like it's hard, right? Cuz like if you grew up in an area like in New York, sometimes the areas that you grew up in you can't afford to buy in and you have to venture out, you know, somewhere else. But I'm hoping that sharing like these takeaways will kind of help and get your juices flowing on what you can do in your life. Okay, so looking back, the factors that contributed to my success. Okay, I'm gonna, there's no, there's this like random, there's no like (laughs) actual order, but I will say first the real estate bubble and for different reasons, but there was a real estate bubbling, bubbling, (laughs) the real estate bubble at that time in like 2005, to like, we mean pre-2005, right? To like 2007, eight. One, price me out of what I want, what I thought I wanted to be in. I mean, honestly, I would love to own a brownstone in Fort Greene or, you know, Bed-Stuy. 
but it priced me out of that at that moment. And so I had to look elsewhere. But let me tell you something. When it was time to close on this unit two years later, so I think it was 2007 that I closed on this condominium, the market was in a frenzy still, meaning people, this is when they were giving out no loan documents, meaning they did not check your income. You can like close on a uh, unit or a property without showing proof of income. You can just tell them what you earned. At the time that I went to go get this mortgage, my income, like I said, it was barely covering what this mortgage would be. Like I didn't have enough, like the ratio was not, (laughs) there was not enough room in the ratio. Like if they would have done the math for me to pay for the mortgage and living expenses. So I actually closed on my unit as a no loan doc uh, mortgage, meaning I didn't have to prove my income. Now, if there was not a real estate bubble and it is like it is now where, you know, they're checking, they're making sure you can afford as they should, as they should to buy things because so many people lost so much money, you know, over leveraged and got into properties they could not afford. And I honestly was one of them. If you looked on paper, I could not have really afforded that apartment. But I was determined. So in the two years that it took for the unit to be built, like I said, I saved the majority of my money. So I knew that, okay, even if my income at the moment is not there, I knew it would increase at some point. And I knew that I could sell it at some point if I wanted to, if things really got bad. But really, the real estate bubble, while it was, you know, a crazy time, the no loan doc just the way they were doing things allowed me to close. If, if they were checking my, my, my real income, I would not have been able to close on that unit. The ability to adapt. So adapting, because I, I had my mindset on a brownstone, a multifamily unit, but I was open to different things. And I think that's really important because sometimes what you think will be your thing, what you think will be the path to your success, the success will be there, but your path can be different. And so I was willing to go to New Jersey to look at something. I was willing to go to a condo instead of a brown a brownstone. And so I adapted and I learned to kind of see something different where the possibilities were. And so you can't be so frigid sometimes in your goal. You have to allow flexibility because you can still possibly get to a different goal, even a better goal, but you have to make room for the flexibility and changing your mind and doing something different. Supportive family, I mean, mainly my mom. So I talk about this earlier. My mom did give me a portion of the first 10%. And then the fact that I was able to live at home, the fact that like, and I didn't have to pay rent, like I had to pay for my own, like, you know, expenses, but she didn't make me pay rent. And it's obvious I would not have been able to do this without her support. And I want to like say, because I know there may be some people will say like, hey, you know, Of course, your mom helped you. That's like, why? And I get that. She did help me. But my mom also came to this country with nothing. When I tell you she had me as a single mom at 20 years old, immigrated here from Jamaica, worked minimum wage jobs. For her to put herself in a position to be able to help her 20-something-year-old daughter buy something like this that ultimately benefits us us as a whole as a family, but like she's like almost sacrificed her own money and position to to give me a boost means everything because what that shows me is that maybe right now you don't have that support. You know, you don't have you don't have a mom because you don't have a mom that can do that for you or family members that you can live with and save money. I get it. 
But what I look at when I see that is my mom was able to boost and give me a head start. And so even if you don't have that right now, you can do that for someone else. You can do that for your children. You can be someone who, because you're getting your finances in order, because you're working hard, you can give the assistance to your kids to help them do better. And quite honestly, like my mom, like I always say, like, I mean, again, I'm blessed to have her. And she, but she worked her way up to now where she is financially secure. So while she started without much, now she's at a place where I, you know, luckily I don't have to worry about having to take care of her when she retires. Because as she got her education, she started to make more money. She started to, you know, invest in her, her 403B. And, you know, so she's doing okay. So having her as a support system obviously was a like a huge benefit But And I couldn't have done it without her, but I look at it as even if you don't have that in your life right now, to look at it is, but you can still be, you can still be successful. Maybe it won't be as fast or at the rate or as young as I was able to maybe buy something. But even looking at my mom, like she is also right now financially secure. Something that 30 years ago when she, or 40, you know, 30 years ago when she first came here was not the case. Okay. A saver's mindset. So When I started saving most of my money at my internship, I didn't know why I was saving it. I just felt like there was going to be something that I needed to save it for. And saving was, again, something really important in our family. Even if like they always say, even if it's a dollar, save one cent of that. And that was passed down to me. And it's something that I kept. So even no matter what jobs I got. So I had my internship through inroads, but I also worked on campus You know, I had my first job at 14. And so I just always remember saving something. And that is my charge to everyone here. While you may have like, you know, debt payments and things going on, even if it's a dollar, I don't care how much it is. I want you to allocate something that you are saving because the amount will change as your position and station in life changes, as you earn more money, as, you know, maybe you get a windfall of, you know, a tax return or just something else that occurs. If you are already allocating um, and knowing, like flexing that savings muscle, you can then be prepared to save more when you are able to save more. And so having that money and saving it, even before I knew what it was for, was crucial. The next thing, representation matters so much. Seeing other people doing something matters because sometimes there are things that you don't even know are possible because you don't see someone doing it. You see someone doing it and it's not just seeing someone doing it, but Seeing them do it, doing it and saying, hmm, why not me? Why not you? And this goes for anything that you're thinking about doing in life. A podcast, (laughs) you know, like you see someone see me having a podcast and you have an idea for something. Why not you? Why can't you start a, a podcast? Why can't your podcast be successful? You see someone, you know, in a career that seems exciting and you're like, wow, that person must be like lucky. Why can't you be? Why can't you create your own luck to do that in terms of what did they do to get there? Is there a way that you can take a similar path or change paths to do it? I just always feel that representation is key. If I did not see those in-person neighborhood millionaires, like if maybe, you know, I had no clue they existed, if they never opened up and told me that they owned property and were landlords, if I didn't have my own grandmother as a mirror of what I could be one day, I don't know that I would have had the guts to go in and buy a property at 22, but it was because I saw these people doing it. And they were normal people. They were not million. They weren't, I mean, maybe they were worth millions of dollars, but they were regular everyday people from similar backgrounds or even more um, maybe disadvantaged backgrounds. And I was like, okay, I can do this too. So 
seeing and seeking out the representation. Maybe it's not immediate for you, but seek it out. There are people who you can relate to, or it may be parts of the story. Maybe everything's not relatable that if you can just see yourself in what they're doing and then apply that you can do it too, you'll get somewhere. Okay. Belief in self is going to be key here. It's one thing to see someone doing something, but then it's another thing to say, hey, I can do it too. And I believe I do have a strong belief in my abilities. That's not to say I don't have big insecurities. I actually really do. (laughs) But I'm able to really like tell those insecurities to shut up most of the time and go after and lean into my ability. And I think that's for everyone every journey you're listening right now that I know that you're, there's a little voice in your head sometimes telling you you can't do something, telling you if it was that easy, more people would have done it. I know, I know those voices still come up in my head, but you must find a way to push past that. You must find a way to see where you are now and see how your abilities have helped you to where you are now. And that is not by accident. You are worthy. You can do it too. Maybe not in the same way because we don't have the same tools We don't have the same starting point, but you can. And so you have to develop that belief in self. You have to surround yourself with people. And I don't want to put it on people to to pour into you, but it doesn't hurt to have people who also believe in you. And again, my mom was a big part of that. If I had a mom that was very critical and maybe not as helpful, maybe my mindset would be a little bit different. But I know for some people that is the case. You don't have supportive people or family around you, but Seeking out supportive spaces where they can reinforce your belief is going to be important, but bigger than that, because sometimes you won't even get that. You have to have that belief in yourself. And then I would say the risk versus reward, being able to identify that. And this can go for anything that you're thinking about doing, whether it is investing in a course or quitting your job, starting a business for me to buy this property there was a big risk, right? Like it, I could have lost that 10% that I put down if I was not able to close. And, you know, I don't think I'll have time for this second part. I, I'll probably have to do a part two of my other real estate <laughs> story where I actually almost did lose. We did, my husband and I did something similar. We went in and we bought a, prop, a condo, put 10% down and literally almost lost that 10%. So that will have to be another story. But I looked at the risk of losing that 10% versus the reward of what was possible if it worked. This one thing to to do something and be like, oh my gosh, that was such a mistake. But most times the mistakes do not lead to death. Most times, 99% of the time you won't die from your mistake. You may lose some money. You may have your ego bruised. You may lose some time, but you won't die. (laughs) And for me, I thought the reward of having my own place to close on a condo unit in this area that is developing, that could be worth a lot of money one day, it's worth it. And so think about for you, whether it is buying that course, buying that investment property, only you can tell yourself what your risk tolerance is, right? There are some people who were at that age or with those circumstances would have not done what I did. I'm pretty sure if I went back and were to like, you know, maybe I was calling into like, like a Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey and told them about my situation and I wanted to buy this condo, they'd be like, hell no, you can't afford it, (laughs) right? That's why you have to have your own internal guidance system to guide you on these things because, you know, the price point matters, right? So if you're spending like $500 or $1,000 on a course or something, you know, depending on your situation, you know, for me... I knew that the outcome would be way better than the risk if I lost this. 
And so if you think about like, you know, if I spend a $500 on this course or on this thing, if I don't do the work, which, you know, hopefully once you put that money and skin in the game, you're going to do the work. But think about it. If I don't do it, will I still be in the same situation? And for me, I didn't want, I didn't want two, three, four years to pass and me not to own property. Like same thing with quitting my job. Like I knew that timing was of the essence and I would regret more not trying out Journey to Launch full time than staying in my quote unquote safe job. Because again, if I'm not going to die, if I'm not going to lose every single penny I have, then the risk for me was worth it. So this is why I think I'm able to take a bit of risk. And I want you to think about your risk and rewards. And if the reward outweighs the risk that you're going to take, then to consider for you what that means to take these risks. Okay, so overall, that is my buying a property at 22 years old story, my my condo in Brooklyn, you know. So the thing about it is too, like I kind of alluded to this, the pandemic definitely um, changed things a bit. I had a tenant in there, um, but he had to actually couldn't renew because of the pandemic. He was someone who actually was, he only lived there a couple times a like month because he he traveled a lot for work, but he was older. So when the pandemic hit, he couldn't he couldn't stay there any longer. He had to like be home. And I had to find a new tenant during all of this. And right now during this, it is a renter's market, meaning there's so many units on the market. You know, there's so much more development too, right? Like in Dumbo, in downtown Brooklyn. And so I actually did have a little bit of trouble finding someone, but I did. I found a new tenant and it just goes to show you like, while yes, this is a great investment. It is a way that my family has built even more wealth. It's been my biggest proponent of wealth or my biggest part of my portfolio in terms of wealth right now. But, you know, that's not to say it doesn't come with, you know, like responsibility. It's not to say like, like, all you know, just being a landlord is 100% like easy in terms of, you know, there's always a condominium increase that I had a tax abatement that ran out. So the cost of having the condo is more than when it was 15 years ago. But to me, the good outweighs any of the bad or things that are happening. And I'm just so grateful, so happy to be able to be put in the position to take this opportunity um, when I saw it. And part of it, yes, it's preparation and part of it is luck. And I know that you are in your own journey and you're figuring out maybe what you should do and what you should invest in. I know I got a lot of people who listen who are interested in real estate investing, but I just want to tell you that your path is going to be all your own. Hopefully you got some inspiration and some tips from this, but I'm really glad to be able to share the story with you. I will come back. I don't know when, but for a part two about the other real estate <laughs> purchase that did not go as well as this one. Okay, journeyers, don't forget. I have some time sensitive things that if you want to take advantage of, you got to do it right now. Do not delay. One, I have a secret podcast series called Financial Independence 101, where you can listen to episodes around the building blocks of financial independence. So these are short episodes to help you and guide you to start your journey. It even comes with a free workbook. You can get access to that series at journeytolaunch.com slash secret podcast. And then do not, do not forget to join me on January 14th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time for a free class where I'm going to bring together the building blocks, the next steps you need to take, and all the things so that you can crush your goals in 2021 and beyond. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash free class to save your seat. I'll see you there.
Now it's time for DCU's money tip of the week. This is where I share a helpful money tip to help you manage your money and reach your goals. This week's tip is to invest the time to learn about a topic or subject matter that will help you reach your goals. Take the time to learn about a specific topic that will help you reach your goals for this year. Take advantage of any resources that you may have available to you. So for example, credit unions like DCU offer free online education for their members on money topics like saving, building credit, budgeting, and so much more. Continuing to listen to podcasts like this will also help you, but really take the time to invest to get the knowledge that you need to reach your goals in this year. Okay, for more tools and information to help you on your financial freedom journey, check out dcu.org. If you want to check out the episode show notes, that's where you can get links to anything that's mentioned and even get a transcribed version of this episode that you can read go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. Now, you can also still grab your free Journeyer Jumpstart Guide by texting LAUNCH to 33777 or go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.